0: Welcome to Heavy Strategy. In today's sponsored show, we're talking AOPs and Service Assurance with Vitria. Now, one way to look at artificial intelligence in the telco infrastructure and any in infrastructure place generally is to say that first of all, we had manual operation, artisanal handcrafted configurations, and then we moved up to automation of elements. We started to use Python scripts and Ansible and various tools like that to, to, to automate a device. And then we moved on to to saying we actually, what we need is to automate all things, a line of things. And so this sort of led to what I call orchestration. I am orchestrating multiple automations to build a service delivery, to build a service end-to-end. And the actions that we perform when we're doing this, though, were deterministic. That is, a human decides what action to take. And the logical question here is, does this leave room for improvement? And of course, in technology, the answer is yes, there's always room for improvement. I'm Greg Farrow, and you can be my internet friend on LinkedIn or over on Twitter if you like. Jonah Till-Johnson would love to connect with you on her company's website. She's joining me today. And our guest is Charlotte Patrick, and she is working with Vitria Technologies. She's an independent industry analyst covering the use of artificial intelligence in the telco space. Thanks very much for joining us, Charlotte. Let's get straight into the first question. Looking across at the telco industry, where is the majority of intelligence? automation being added to the infrastructure today?
1: So uh, when you look across a telco, basically you end up with sort of buckets of questions that need and problems need to be answered and the resolutions to them. And so where you see most things happening today are in large, uh, uh, complex sets of data where you've got um, uh, the ability to diagnose problems and predict and prescribe actions. You've then got a bunch of use cases really around automations. Yeah. So this is about, you know, repetitive tasks and large teams and things that need putting in there. And then you have kind of a couple of sets of different questions you usually see. You either see personalization. Where does the telco need to do something personalized for its customers? And mm. then you get kind of classic planning problems as well there's sort of another version of ai automation and then you've got you've got a selection of
0: sort of standalone ai opportunities so i think you're saying there's like three different parts there there's a, an operational aspect how do i operate my telco infrastructure more efficiently i can use ai ops to automate regular tasks but i think i heard you say you can also use ai to accelerate the planning tasks as well do i need new services how do i get is that right
1: yeah so you typically get there either optimization tasks basically so how yeah. do i make something behave in its optimum fashion or it could be something like slightly more kind of design leg like you're trying to trying to plan a network and things and that's uh, so you have several options and again you're 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 looking to to find the best one out of that so, yeah, yeah.
2: So, Charlotte, just um, connect the dots for some of our listeners here. It sounds, you know, you talked a lot about optimization. How does this translate into bottom line value?
1: I keep a big spreadsheet. And on my spreadsheet, I look at for an average telco. So we go something along the lines of a $16 billion telco. So that's not Verizon. It's mm. more like a European telco. And it kind of, right. kind of averages a out. Or
2: someone like that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I add up that there is an estimated $1.2 billion of value. That's on a revenue of $16 billion, And that is bottom line uplift. So I'm talking about capex and opex decreases or revenue increases. And that's if I start all of my projects kind of right now. And that's what I will see each year for, say, the next five years. So, um, so, the, yeah. so the
2: value is roughly, and if I did my math correctly, roughly about 10% improvement. Could you kind of do one double click deeper and talk about where some of that improvement comes from?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So obviously, the majority of it is the network and what Mm -hmm. you might describe as kind of roughly the network management space. So um, automations in the network, you know, reduces staff costs and optimizes expensive equipment, that type of thing. There's then a nice little bucket labeled assurance. So you've got more automations um, ability to see up and up and down the stack and across domains. um, And I Mm. see good value there. Uh, and then you tend to go into places where either uh, something like network planning, where you've got um, large uh, capex and opex decreases potentially for uh, for undertaking, you know, making something more optimised, and and then also the big teams, so field services, order management, those type of things, and perhaps into the contact centre as well. There's always some decent value.
0: So when you're talking about AI ops, you're not just talking about operating the network, you're actually talking about doing integrations with a whole range of tools that exist inside of a telco. Like you're reaching into the OSS and the BSS, you're looking at reaching into the customer databases, and then you're looking at the networks to be able to bring it into a unified platform that uses artificial intelligence to tell you what's happening. So, you know, if network performance is bad, which customers are being impacted type of thing?
1: Absolutely. So my spreadsheet says, so first of all, I break down the telco into different processes and that could be any process. I'm going into HR or going into security all over the place and saying, so where could analytics or AI or automation have some value? What could it do? And then I'm trying to say, so what are the drivers of of revenue there or, or capex, opex decreases? So this is a really, really broad piece of work that I've done. Mm.
2: Interesting. So I want to circle back on something and hopefully it's not too soon in the conversation to ask, but I know you sort of distinct, you differentiate between assurance as something that's distinct from resilience, automation, intelligence, et cetera. And maybe you could just define for our listeners what you mean by assurance.
1: Oh, yes. So I take assurance into a sort of number of different categories and typically a sort of FM, PM, the old things that we've been doing for a long time for on the resource side, things like traffic analysis. And then also I have the service assurance separately. So I'll have PM and FM there along with kind of proactive fault management and kind of newer things. Then I've also got a kind of customer Uh, centric assurance, things like uh, managing SLAs and tracking individual customers. And I have some little additional pieces there around um, making sure that enterprises or partners also have the ability to see assurance data as well. So it's quite, quite a broad area.
2: Does assurance actually help raise an SLA to the level of an XLA, so the customer experience level?
1: Well, theoretically, with some closed loop and some more dynamic SLA management, yes, I think it's still work in progress and it's allied to, you know, how much the telcos are doing with their service, their 5G services. Are they actually selling anything? Therefore, oh gosh, some now we need some better sorts of SLAs. So it, it is work in progress along with other things uh, you know, in that area, like creating slices that, that are easier to assure and, you know, that kind of thing. So it, mm. it's in development.
0: <laughs> so the sort of person that would be, should be listening to this or would initiate this is much, sounds to me it's going to be not so much engineering led, but much more business led or am I misunderstanding?
1: Well, so I come from a business background and my kind of view is that if you don't know where the financial value is, then you're going to struggle to, you know, to really make decisions because there is so much that can be done and so many vendors so much, you know, talk in the market about where AI and automation is is really going to work. So, yeah, I do take it from quite a top level view mm. and then, but actually then go down quite deep because uh, what I discover is that you can't do, you know, you can't talk about the value of assurance if you don't really know what's going to be done and what's feasible.
0: <laughs> yeah. I guess like when we talk about tools like this there's always two ways that you can approach it one is a bottom up where the engineering team starts deploying and focusing on short term wins and another way to do it is say this is a whole of company approach and it starts from the top down and you focus on things like automating billing or operations or design you know something like that. Could you take something like the Vitria protocol, you know, product suite and start from the bottom up and at, or go or from the top down or either or or both?
1: I mean I think just generally everybody obviously you're going to knock out your quick wins first hmm. and you just hope well if you haven't spent a lot of time calculating the value you just hope that the things that uh, your vendor promised you are going to become you know yeah. uh, reality reality on your bottom line and then well, I, th- I think what people are finding and and I hope I'm answering the question but I've just done a really interesting piece looking at assurance and talking yeah. to the vendors who are doing this and they say well, what happens is everybody does has done a bunch of stuff and then you have to, well, what do you do now? And the answer is you 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 go to where you've got things and you say, you look upstream and downstream and say, what are the next things that you need to do? But yeah. then also, as you were saying, you have to overlay, you know, if you want to get to a, I don't know, a self-healing
0: network, whatever that might mean, you know, you've- Well, I guess I'm more thinking in terms of service assurance, right? So the goal here is always to reach for service assurance and Vitria is very much focused on, service assurance as a as as what it delivers to customers. But mm-hmm. the, the challenge there is that the service might run across fifty different technologies, you know, thirty different business units and, you know, what all the different areas. And quite often the best way to start this is to say, I'm going to define my service as this or some subset mm. of functionality. And then start building out. You and it's like a like an onion. You build from the center and you add the layers on and you grow out, you use your integrations with your databases. You use your integrations with your Net Performance System. You know, maybe you're plugging into some digital experience management system, and you want to feed that data into your AI ops and to say, uh, "I've got a, you know, if there's a service problem on a network, I need my ops to know about it, and the help desk should know." But then, the, I need a tool to help help desk say which customers are impacted. Mm. Those are the things that we don't have today, but we can actually bring them on piece by piece. I think, and that's where I think the value is for a lot of companies because big things don't, well, the lesson we know from working with companies like Oracle and SAP is big projects fail more often than they succeed. Yeah, Well,
2: and I'd, I'd jump in on that as well and say what I heard you saying there, Charlotte, was it's great to have all this information, but unless you close that loop and do something with it and then continue the process and see whether what you did actually improve things, your information is useless. At some point you have to put it into action and that piece still requires human intervention.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, thinking about this, of course, there is, thinking about the the projects that are, happening today and most prevalent um, and whether and how how exactly that fits into the total picture I mean I think um, uh, the part of it is that on on the problem uh, resolution side so there's sort of automated root cause analysis the first place that you go go to with some AI and uh, that's been going on for the last three or four years I suppose and then um of course it, it's complicated by the, the, the introduction of new domains and uh, 5g sa and so forth um when you have to change the way completely yeah. that you yeah. assure things and the data comes from a different place so you've got both you've got both um a rolling introduction of more ai more automation plus all the changes that are going on underneath um and, yeah. and yeah. Uh,
0: open ran yeah. people are moving open ran into 5g sa and then Trying to go to five G, there's so much happening in that, sp- and at the at the building block level, the APIs and everything that's defined in these is very grey at this point. So when you're building a whole of business system or a, a an end to end service assurance process, it is is very daunting and uh, uh, and potentially until you're using artificial intelligence, it may not even be practical. Let me ask a weird question. I want to ask a bit of an odd question. So the one of the things that we have is. What do customers object to? Like, if we go out and talk to them about AI ops, and I'm sure you're talking to lots of telcos about this, do they ever come back to you and say no, or that's silly, or is it, that's a crazy idea? Do you get objections and pushback around AI ops? And if so, what are they? I
1: think it has come on leaps and bounds. Usually there is, you know, we've got to build it first before we assure it. And so you're, you're waiting for stuff to happen on the deployment side in order to do that. And then there are a series of topics which go up and down in interest. So for example, NWDAF and some of the newer capabilities and theories about how best to capture assurance data and use it, they seem to go up and down. Um, and it depends on mm. Oh, I don't know. It slightly depends on how, it, it depends on what they need immediately, you know, and if, yeah. if something like energy dash is tied to services and services aren't, uh, you know, quite as hot as just getting something that, that will look across domains so that we can see what the major problems are, then then they do go up and down. So um, I would say not a, a no, but but certainly variable enthusiasms. <laughs> I was thinking this is,
0: you know, adding AI ops could, could potentially be a big, and there's a certain weariness I think in the telco industry at the moment about doing more like we've had that major 5G push the push to move to 5G and if you're in the fixed line space you've moved up to DWDM you're clocking up from you know 100 gig to 400 gig to 800 gig you're moving away from DWDM with IP edge to integrated IP there's so much happening in the telco space that adding this on top of could be seen as something that's a step too far
2: Well, and that's why I was kind of jumping in and asking the questions about how to extract the value that you talked about, Charlotte. You actually need humans to make changes to their processes, to think more broadly and basically take something that they probably had gotten to the point where it was pretty effective as a process and pretty error free because telcos are usually extremely risk averse and they don't want to introduce anything that might add errors and mistakes and saying, oh, gosh, you know, now you have to go change your process because you have all this insight and information that you didn't previously have. And I can see that being a bit of a barrier. I think, Greg, you talked about the weariness, but Mm. I think there's also the legit fear of risk because doing something differently always adds the risk that you might crash the system inadvertently.
1: I'd probably come back on that and say, actually, of all the areas that I've been tracking, actually, assurance has suddenly got a massive boost because the data that is collected is useful in so many of the closed loops. There is no way we're doing an intent-based network or automation of planning or some of the orchestrations without a really good knowledge of, you know, when something happened, how that performed and whether that was the right thing to do. So there's a sudden, for me, a sudden renaissance of interest, actually, in assurance and a sort of, you know, how can we get hold of the data? How can it be uh, just well, uh, in a standard
2: format, et cetera, et cetera? <laughs> <laughs> you said sudden twice. Is there any uh, precipitating factor in, y- in your view that kind of drives this, this interest?
1: I think for me, two things. Number one, people started to talk about end to end service orchestration. And I I know Mm -hmm. it's been going on for a bit, but it feels to me uh, like it's just sort of ramping up a little now because some of the first bits are done and there's more happening, more end to end stuff. And then also intent based networks. I mean, we are some distance from them, but I was speaking with uh, TM Forum yesterday about where they are. And, you know, there are some intent based bits and pieces out there, and that all needs a Insurance data at some point to, to make it work.
2: Yeah, so it sounds like this is this is uh, an idea whose time has come, largely because people have been teased with some of the new capabilities that they might get, and now suddenly they've got the data that allows them to actually take advantage of these tools.
0: I guess one area that I'm thinking of is that telcos often talk about a skills shortage we've had a real problem where they're looking for a certain type of person or a certain type of capability. Do you think AI ops, from a business point of view is going to address the need for, reduce the need for specialist skills or reduce the need for experts and maybe, or Does it, you know, are these systems expert systems or expert replacement systems in that sense?
1: Yes, where assurance can allow either simple or complex things to be fixed without Mm. uh, too much intervention. That's going to take down knock and sock staff, and then I guess also as that data helps with, you know, getting the trouble ticket, trouble trouble tickets, and the network service desk kind of uh, able to do what they need to do quicker and things. Yes, I, 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 there is. A place there for cost savings and on headcount. Yeah,
0: yeah. I think for me, what I see with uh, you know using tools like Vitria AI Ops to do the service assurance is that a lot of your first line simplifies. So where your first line would often have to do a data gathering to find out what's, you know the customer rings in and says my service is broken. Well, what is the customer service and how many elements are in that path and what is it about those you know where are the parts of you know there's so much of that that's quite a to be able to comprehend the end-to-end system is actually quite a difficult, quite a difficult thing to comprehend. But if you have a uh, a system like you know an AI ops is doing service assurance, it can pop up and say, "Here's all the elements in this customer service that you could be looking at," and potentially even go further. It can start to attach into the network performance monitoring platform or the streaming data, the telemetry that's coming off those systems, or look at application performance data. That sometimes, if you've got all of this enabled in your AI ops, is that the sort of do you agree with that per- perspective?
1: Absolutely. I mean, speaking with Fitria and and it's you know some some of the stuff is not really that. It, it, it sounds easy. It sounds easy to see things across domain and it sounds easy to do the root cause analysis. But it but it isn't. Okay. <laughs> and anything yeah. that AI ops can do is a massive benefit. You know, to solving problems.
0: Yeah, you still end up with your level three engineers. That you probably don't reduce those, but you do reduce. You know that down at the lower levels, and probably more importantly, I think ops might hopefully lead to a better customer service. Like, you know, the, if there's a problem, you get to fixing it faster or potentially even before they, they know there's a problem.
1: Yeah, it, it occurs to me, you know, okay, so we're supposed to have this dark knock and things. But if from a financial point of view, you look at it, whether it's worth, you know, your level three, don't know how many you have, 10, 20 of them, um, they're not a massive expense compared to some of the other things that you can you could be doing. So potentially, you know, it's still okay to be um, have some things that acquire a human ongoing, and it probably makes sense to do so. Mm.
2: So I want to kind of pivot a little bit. We've talked a lot about the benefits that uh, that these tools can bring. What kinds of questions should telcos be asking themselves? You know, somebody who's listening to this going, oh, my gosh, you're absolutely right. Uh, I really need to be deploying these tools. What are some of the questions they should be asking themselves when looking to create value from automation and intelligence in the area of assurance?
1: Yeah. So I I guess the first thing would be still is observability. Do I have what I need going forward? Can I see the customers either individually or in groups? And do I have it across old and new domains? Are there any holes that occur? So the newer assurance systems usually have all the cloud and edge capabilities in there or you can you know or you can purchase them uh, but some of the older solutions probably aren't in there so that is it, it's it's important to consider observability i would then also talk about uh, maximizing efficiency savings probably how can assurance really help to create a good customer experience on a budget and that is a much broader question obviously but um a really important one cause there is always this push between saving money and and getting new revenues. And, and at the moment, as far as I can see, there's a lot of concentration on new revenues and how to generate those and how to support those. But um, at, at the moment, I, I do think there's still room to be had in efficiencies and savings, and that should be something else that people are looking at.
0: Let's look a little bit into the future because the AI ops industry is an evolving you know, changing things. AI is, in in practical terms, AI is less than a year old in some ways. If you look at it in the the consumer market, obviously AI has been around for longer in the telco market. Where do you think is the new things that are going to come? Let's look forward. If you're Vitria and you're looking to, customers are looking to deploy Vitria in their infrastructure, what are the new things that are going to be coming down the pipeline?
1: I've, I feel the urge never to mention Gen AI because it is uh, yeah. such it's so over overspoken at the moment. But um, I do see a few use cases for it that look good. Digital uh, assistant type capabilities, um, the ability to do knowledge management type things inside of uh, some of the inventories and in the catalogues, that's good. Yeah. Um, qu- question mark about whether it's really the right tool to be doing um, anomaly detection and other kind of classic AI or ML problems that you see in networks. I I have questions about that. And then I'm very excited about generative multi-agent systems at the moment and how those could be generative. But that's, uh, I probably, I'm way off in the future there. Um, So coming back to, you know, where can it be used today? Um, I think there's still a lot of places to go around the root cause analysis, actually. I I think um, it is sometimes used, but there are other things that could be done. It is also, there is need to start to use machine learning where you You've got a lot of data, like, for example, when you're bringing into assurance, you'll start to bring in cloud resources and VNFs um, for PM and FM. I think there's stuff to be done there. And then, of course, if we're talking RAN assurance, the RAN is a whole extra uh, layer of complexity sometimes, and there are some interesting uses for machine learning assurance there.
0: Yeah, this is where I get into my question. Like, You can put AI on top of the RAN and get a lot of value, especially about spectrum management and fault detection and you know in the case of interference you can really start to you know change the way you understand what's happening pop by pop at the edge of the network but i think the challenge is, is that the ran has to be combined with what's happening in the backbone and then what's happening across the core and also how do you monitor all of that to say, oh, your customers are connected at the 5G pop, but there's a fixed line at the other end, it's the last mile, fixed line that's got yeah. a problem, for example, you know, or how do I optimize my my 5G pops and my spectrum um, allocation across those pops so that I can spend less, especially at the moment they're talking about ex- renting spectrum allocation between telcos and things like that. I think mm, AI and mm. automation could be really valuable there
1: yeah absolutely super super difficult problems and where especially you know uh, oh there's there's a whole range of things one could go into but i um, so first of all it's just you know single pane of glass and just um, dragging all of those things in but then um, you start to get conflict management needed as well and things especially when you start to talk about you know assurance and SLA management on uh, you know of services and so forth so um, there is a range of things and that's you know that's where the AI ops platform begins to you know come into its own is when you've got when you when yeah. you've got a single you need a single pane of glass because how how you know how are you going to do it otherwise.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I think I think the challenge here is for me AI ops is about starting somewhere and learning. I don't think you want to go with the you know the big bang approach and say we're AI opsing the whole the whole telco. You have to find mm. a place. And that's I think it's much more of an evolutionary approach. And the way I look at Vitria is they have all of these integrations. You don't have to do them all at once. You can start and build them up over time. And I think that's a much more realistic way of doing things. There's been so much change. Putting this on top of the workload might be a bit of a problem. But I think probably the place to start is in assurance. Are my services working? How do I look at the data that I've already got out there and say, my DWDM is working, my RANDs are working, my POPs are working. Uh,
2: Yeah, I would would take that all the way back to what Charlotte said earlier, which is start with observability. What can you see? Hmm. How can you put these end-to-end pieces together so you can see what's going on? And then the next question you can ask yourself is, what can I do about this? Where can Hmm. I optimize? What are my opportunities for improvement? Mm,
1: mm. Yeah, and, and particularly with an eye to services, it seems to be you know to some extent the network observability is becoming something that you know d- networks are becoming more reliable because there are other automations that are doing things. So so although there's still a horrid amount of stuff that needs to be done, um, I think I think the, the the you know the move is definitely towards services and yeah. and wh- how is the user experiencing things?
0: Well, unfortunately, that's all the time that we've got for today thanks very much to vitria for sponsoring today's show and taking the time to join us and to talk about ai ops it's not often we get to talk about ai in a telco environment so it's interesting to think of things from a big perspective Thanks very much for joining us today, Charlotte. Uh, it's been a pleasure to have you on and to share your views across what we've going. If people want to find out more about you, they can go to the show notes, which go along with the show over at packetpushes.net. Just go down to the Heavy Strategy Podcast and have a look there. There's lots more information on the Vitria website. That's Vitria, that's V-I-T-R-I-A, just as it sounds. You can then check through out a whole bunch of things. You can find them on Twitter and on LinkedIn, of course, if you want to find out more information. If you've heard something on the show that's interesting to you, don't forget to tell them where you heard it from. Head along to vitria, vitria.com to find out more about them, particularly go and have a look at their service assurance. They've got a bunch of resources. I was actually preparing for the show by checking out their website where they've got some white papers and some videos and some various pieces of information that help you look at service assurance transformation. So go and check that out. As always, thanks very much for listening to today's show. Thanks very much to Jonah. Thanks very much to Charlotte. Thanks very much to Vitria. Find us on our website at packetpushes.net. So thanks very much for listening to Heavy Strategy, where the questions are more important than the answers. And we'll look forward to seeing you again in a couple of weeks.